0: Hello, and welcome, everyone, into the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes. On today's episode, we jump back a few decades to just after the Battle of Christophsis. It's The Clone Wars Wild Space by Karen Miller, a buddy comedy and scavenger hunt rolled into one. I'm kidding, of course. Wild Space is the story of Obi-Wan Kenobi and Bail Organa searching for an ancient, forgotten Sith world whose secrets could hold the key to defeating the Separatists and ending the Clone Wars. But, before I get into the book, let's have an email from a listener. This message comes from Sebastian in Mexico City. Sebastian says, Are there any Legends books with Ewoks as main characters? Well, thank you very much for the question, Sebastian. The answer is yes. There are a series of Legends books and comics where Ewoks are the main characters. They are the Ewok children's series of books published in the mid-1980s. They were printed as tie-in material for the two Ewok television movies and the Ewok cartoon series. The book titles include Wicked Ghost Fishing, The Ring, The Witch, and The Crystal, How the Ewoks Saved the Trees, and Three Cheers for Nisa, among others. The comics include Rights of Power, Valley of Evil, and King for a Day. Now, I've seen the TV movies, Caravan of Courage, and The Battle for Endor, and I know I watched the Ewok cartoon when it was on Saturday mornings back in 1985 and 1986. I would have been about seven and eight years old. But I don't remember much about them. I did see that they are now available on Disney+, Plus, so maybe I'll revisit them someday. But I've never read the Ewok children's books or the comics. Heck, I was 14 years old when I discovered that Star Wars books even existed, so I never really got into any of the children's books. So, those are the only Legends books that I could find that feature Ewoks as main characters. However, Sebastian... If the intent of your question was about adult or young adult books, the answer is unfortunately no. As far as I can tell, there aren't any Legends stories that feature Ewoks except for the children's books. But, and this is a big but, there is a series of Legends novels that feature a prominent Ewok from a certain point of view. They're the X-Wing Wraith Squadron books. They're titled Wraith Squadron, Iron Fist, and Solo Command. Now, I'll be covering these books in April of 2022, so I won't go into any of these details here. But there is a character, Lieutenant Ketch, who's an Ewok that joined the fighter squadron after the Battle of Endor, to help hunt down Imperial Warlord Zinj. Ketch is a really fun character, and those are some really fun stories. Honestly, I can't wait to get to the Ray Squadron books. They'll be here before you know it. Yub yub, everyone. Thank you very much for the question, Sebastian. Uh, That was a fun one. If you want to be like Sebastian, and have a message read on the podcast, please contact the show. You can email me at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or send me a tweet at legendslounge1. Now it's time for today's book, The Clone Wars Wild Space by Karen Miller. Grab yourself a drink, and let's head in to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. The story begins just after the Battle of Geonosis, the beginning of the Clone War. Senator Padme Amidala races through the labyrinthine halls of the Jedi Temple on Coruscant, searching for Anakin Skywalker. She runs into the halls of healing, desperate for any information on Anakin, seriously wounded in a lightsaber duel with Count Dooku, losing his arm. Padme is stopped at the entrance to the healing area and told to leave the temple. Anakin will be fine, the healers tell her. He's injured, but he'll live. The Jedi thank Padme for her helping transport Anakin back to Coruscant, but there's nothing more she can do to help. Padme refuses to leave. She can't tell the Jedi, but she loves Anakin, and she needs to be by his side while he recovers. Again, the Jedi bar Padme from entering the healing area, but it's not until Obi-Wan Kenobi enters and persuades Padme to return to her apartments. Now the incident raises Yoda's attention, who sends for Obi-Wan. The old Jedi Master asks Obi-Wan about his Padawan's relationship to the Senator from Naboo. Obi-Wan says he knew Anakin had a crush on Padme, but he thought it was just a phase that his Padawan would grow out of it. He hasn't, Yoda counters and now it would seem the senator reciprocates young Skywalker's feelings. Yoda chastises Obi-Wan for not cutting the relationship off in the bud, and orders Obi-Wan to put a stop to it now. Since Obi-Wan can't get through to Anakin, Yoda tells him, talk to the senator, and explain to her why the two can never be together. Of course, Padme doesn't take kindly to the news. She tells Obi-Wan that the Jedi are wrong. Anakin is different from other Padawans, he needs relationships with people who care about him. The Jedi made a mistake cutting Anakin off from his mother. But Anakin is a Jedi, Obi-Wan says. An attachment is forbidden. Realizing she'll never win the argument, Padme concedes. If she and Anakin continue their romance, it'll be dangerous for the both of them. But Padme tells Obi-Wan Anakin won't believe it unless she's the one to break up with him. She convinces Obi-Wan to allow Anakin to escort her to Naboo for a family vacation. Obi-Wan agrees, and the two fly to Naboo, cementing their love with a secret wedding at Padme's family lake house. The story then jumps ahead a month to just after the Battle of Christophsis. Obi-Wan Kenobi receives a message from Dexter Jetster. Rumors about an attack by General Grievous on the planet Bothewee. As Obi-Wan races back to the Jedi Temple with the news, the Senate District is rocked by a series of explosions, terrorist attacks by Separatist agents. Obi-Wan is caught up in one of the blasts, crashing his speeder bike on a high-rise balcony. He's seriously injured, but still manages to get a message off to Anakin, who finds his former master and calls for the Jedi healers. Before losing consciousness, Obi-Wan relays the message about Bothawee to Anakin who then tells the Jedi Council. So the Jedi finally have a lead on Grievous, but there's a problem. They're already spread throughout the galaxy. Obi-Wan was the natural choice to hunt Grievous down, but he's recovering. So Masters Yoda and Mace Windu decide to give Anakin his first command. Anakin will take his new Padawan, Ahsoka Tano, and a battle group of three new cruisers to Bothawe to lay a trap for Grievous. Meanwhile, Padme Amidala receives a message from Senator Bail Organa of Alderaan. He needs to speak to the Jedi, but he wants to keep it quiet. And he knows Padme has worked closely with the Jedi in the past. When Padme asks Bail what's so important, he confides in her that he's in contact with a secret group called the Friends of the Republic, who claim the war with the Separatist Alliance is just a front. The real threat to the Republic is a shadowy group of Force users called the Sith. Padme's shocked, not by the news itself, she's known about the Sith since the Battle of Naboo 10 years earlier, but because Bale has learned about them. Padme feigns ignorance, but tells Bale there is one Jedi still on Coruscant that she can trust, and contacts Obi-Wan Kenobi. When Obi-Wan arrives at Padme's apartment, Bale tells him about the message. Obi-Wan tells the Senator that the Jedi know the Sith are behind the war and they've been investigating the Sith for years. Bale is irate, claiming the Jedi have no right keeping this secret from the Senate Security Committee or Chancellor Palpatine. The two begin to argue, but Padme interrupts. The Chancellor knows, she tells Bale, and so does she. Keeping their knowledge of the Sith a secret was necessary to allow the Jedi to investigate without tipping anyone off. Obi-Wan asks Bale who his contacts are. The senator admits he doesn't exactly know, but he trusts them. Their information has never been wrong in the past. But the information has never been this urgent. Bale's contacts claim they've found a Sith planet outside the known galaxy in wild space, a planet named Zagula. And housed in a temple on Zagula lies a Sith holocron, a device that may hold information vital to ending the war. Obi-Wan reports the information back to the Jedi Council. They too are skeptical, but the possibility of rooting out the Sith is a chance they can't afford to pass up. They agree that Obi-Wan needs to investigate Zagula, but there's a catch. Senator Organa's contacts did not send the coordinates of the planet. They only sent the coordinates for a meeting at a space station at the edge of Republic Space and they will only reveal how to find Zagula to bail himself. So, against his wishes and his better judgment, Obi-Wan agrees to travel with Senator Organa to the meeting. Along the way, the two debate the roles the Jedi and the Senate are taking in the war. Obi-Wan believes the Senate isn't doing enough for the people of the galaxy that the war is hurting the most, and he's distrustful of politicians in general. Bale doesn't like how secretive the Jedi are with the information he believes the Senate needs to know. The two argue throughout the journey, but eventually arrive at the rendezvous with Bale's contact. They arrive just as a group of pirates are attacking the station. The fighting has been fierce, with heavy casualties on both sides. Carefully, the two dock at the station and follow the sounds of blaster fire. They find the last of the pirates and the Friends of the Republic in the station's control room. Igniting his lightsaber, Obi-Wan enters the room and cuts down the last three pirates, but not before they fatally wound Bale's contact. As she's dying, the woman hands Bale a data crystal containing the coordinates for Zagula. Bale and Obi-Wan return to their ship, but before they jump to hyperspace, Obi-Wan tells Bale to give him the data crystal. They don't know what they'll find on Zagula, but if it really is a Sith world, Obi-Wan says it won't be safe for someone like the senator. That's not the deal, Bale says. He needs to bring the information about the Sith back to the Senate. Reluctantly, Obi-Wan backs down, and the two depart for Wild Space. When they arrive, Obi-Wan's mind is blasted with the power of the dark side, giving him hallucinations and causing them to crash the ship miles from the temple. Injured and exhausted, they estimate it'll be a three day hike across the barren landscape to reach their destination. Along the way, Obi-Wan continues to be plagued with hallucinations and dreams of falling into a fire beetle pit as a youngling, the death of a friend he couldn't save when he was a Padawan, and Anakin's duel with Count Dooku. All the while, an evil voice whispers inside Obi-Wan's head Die, Jedi! Die, Jedi! Die, Jedi. Die. The trek is slow, but just before nightfall of the third day, the two make it to the foot of the plateau beneath the temple. They settle in to rest for the night when Obi-Wan suffers a devastating mental attack, rendering him nearly catatonic. Bale knows that whatever is in the temple is killing Obi-Wan, and he ventures forth, climbing the plateau's cliff face to reach the temple. Inside, he finds many unusual artifacts but he doesn't know which one of them is the Holocron. He needs Obi-Wan Kenobi. Bail climbs back down to the camp and slaps Obi-Wan awake, telling the Jedi what he found in the temple. With the Senator's help, Obi-Wan makes the slow climb up the side of the cliff and enters. The voice in his head is now screaming. Weak and nearly crawling, Obi-Wan finds the Holocron and smashes it on the floor. The dark voice finally stops but the release of the dark side energy causes the temple to start collapsing. Risking his own life, Bale runs into the temple, finds Obi-Wan on the floor, and drags the Jedi outside just as the temple destroys itself. Injured, exhausted, and stranded without a ship, Obi-Wan uses the Force to contact Yoda on Coruscant. The Jedi Master sends Padme and a squad of clone troopers to find Obi-Wan and Bale, and bring them home. The story ends in the office of the Supreme Chancellor, where Darth Sidious ruminates on the loss of the Holocron, the destruction of the Temple on Zagula, and Obi-Wan's survival. It's a setback. But still, his plans for Anakin Skywalker are progressing nicely. Time for a break. When we return, I'll talk a little more about Clone Wars Wild Space, what I liked, and what I didn't like. I'm Aaron Moats. You're listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Star Wars Legends Lounge, where we celebrate the books from Star Wars Legends. But let me take a moment and recommend a book from Star Wars Canon. Lost Stars tells the story of Starcross lovers, Thane Kirill and Sienna Ree, childhood friends who escape their backwater world for the Imperial Academy on Coruscant. Soon, the two clash over the Empire's actions, and one joins the rebellion. See the major events of the Galactic Civil War as they rise through the ranks while maintaining a clandestine love affair. It's a story of love, conflict, friendship, and heartbreak. That's Lost Stars by Claudia Gray. (laughs) Welcome back to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes, and today I'm talking about the book *The Clone Wars: Wild Space* by Karen Miller, a story about Obi-Wan Kenobi and Senator Bail Organa teaming up to find a secret Sith planet. Now, before I give you some of my opinions on this book, let me give you just a little bit of background about my experience with this time period in Star Wars. Most of the books in Legends that I have not yet read take place during the time of the Clone Wars or between the end of the Clone Wars and A New Hope. And the reason mostly is because I didn't like the prequel movies when they came out. To this day, I'm still not a big fan of the prequels. I was not a fan of the Clone Wars television show when it first came out. In fact, I stopped watching midway through the first season. It wasn't until later that I gained more of an appreciation for this time in Star Wars storytelling. Because of that, I haven't read many of the books in Legends that take place during the Clone Wars or just after Revenge of the Sith. I'm slowly rectifying that. I tell you all of that because as much as I have gained an appreciation of this time period, and I recognize now that there are some great stories that take place during the Clone Wars or just after, Some of the storylines in the latter stages of the Clone Wars television show are tremendous storylines, some of my favorite storylines. But this book is not one of them. I am not a fan of this book. It's the first time I've read it, and I will tell you it was a chore to get through. As I've said in the past, I'm mostly a plot person. I sometimes have difficulty recognizing some of the themes of a story until after the story is over. I sometimes don't appreciate some of the deeper character moments until after a story is over. It's the plot that keeps me engaged. And there is a large portion of this book where, in my opinion the plot lags. It crawls. It slows almost to a halt. After finishing the book, looking back, I can appreciate now what it actually is. It's more of a character study of young Obi-Wan Kenobi and Senator Bail Organa, and it's an examination of their two sides during the beginning of the Clone Wars. That's what this book is. There are nearly a 100 pages where it's just Obi-Wan and Bale in Bale's starship debating each side's points of view when it comes to who should be leading the fight against the Separatists. Bale, of course, believes it should be the Senate and Chancellor Palpatine. Bale voted for the formation of the Grand Army of the Republic, but he believes that's a necessary evil. He does not like the fact that they need a Grand Army of the Republic, but he believes Chancellor Palpatine when he says that he will disband the army once the Clone Wars ends. Obi-Wan believes that the Senate's corruption is what led to the Clone Wars beginning in the first place. And that the Senators are not as altruistic as Bale likes to convey. Obi-Wan believes that most Senators are out for their own self-interests. And they are using the war to their advantage to obtain more power, more wealth, more influence. From each person's point of view, they are both correct. From each person's point of view, the other side is wrong. I wish I would have known that that's what this book was before I started reading it. It starts out okay. I mean, it starts out pretty fun. There's a lot that happens in the aftermath of the Battle of Geonosis with Obi-Wan getting caught up in the terrorist attacks on Coruscant, Anakin rushing to his aid, and then later, the clandestine meeting between Obi-Wan, Padme, and Baal at Padme's apartment. But once the actual trip to Zagula starts, in my opinion, the narrative slows down. And even once they get to Zagula, the three-day hike to the base of the Sith Temple feels like three days when you're reading it. I don't know how many times I could read die, Jedi, die, Jedi, die, Jedi, die over and over and over again. It's in here what feels like 50 times. So this book just isn't for me. I won't be reading this book again. I'm glad I did read it. I am happy that I read it because I want to read every book in the Legends Timeline. And I do like to reread some of the books that I really, really enjoy. I won't be rereading this one. But enough with the negative. I know most people have different opinions. A lot of you want to know what I did like about this book. I will say, some of the debating between Obi-Wan and Bale, particularly at the beginning when they first leave Coruscant, is pretty interesting. Both men make good points about the Senate and about the Jedi. I just wish they didn't keep rehashing the same debate over and over and over and over again throughout the narrative. The other thing I thought was pretty cool about this book was in the first third, how Padme uses her political acumen to trick the Jedi as a whole, and Obi-Wan specifically, when it comes to quote-unquote ending her relationship with Anakin. She tricks Obi-Wan into thinking that she'll break up with Anakin when in fact they go to Naboo, have their secret wedding, and come back to Coruscant living a secret life as husband and wife. There's a good amount at the beginning of this book of Padme's inner dialogue, Padme's willingness to lie to the Jedi and to Obi-Wan specifically to get what she wants. It's not really something that you associate with Padme, the ability to fool everyone. But you know what? We see that a lot in her character. In The Phantom Menace, for most of the film she's not portraying Queen Amidala. She is hiding in plain sight as a handmaiden. The only one who really figures it out is Qui-Gon Jinn. Obi-Wan doesn't, neither does Anakin. Of course, Anakin's a little kid at that time. And in the Clone Wars television show, I remember there's a storyline where Padme goes undercover as a spy when an ex-boyfriend, Rush Clovis, a member of the banking clan, is thought to be conspiring with members of the Separatist Alliance. But it's not really something that most fans of Padme think about. And I did like a lot of that sneaking around and fooling Obi-Wan that was in the beginning of this book. So those are the parts that I enjoyed. Unfortunately, it wasn't a lot of this book. Look, I am not telling anyone not to read this book. I am not saying this book is bad. This book is well written. Some of the other books in the Legends timeline that Karen Miller writes are some of my favorite books. It's just the plot of this particular book does not move quickly enough for me. But for those of you who are big Obi-Wan fans, who are big Bail Organa fans, and who likes some of the back and forth, some of the political debate about the failings of both the Jedi and the Senate during the Clone Wars times, there are some really interesting stuff in this book. And you may really like it. I encourage anyone who wants to read anything in the Legends timeline, read them all. Some of you may really like this one. So, time to wrap up. On our next episode, I'll be talking about one of the more popular books from the Legends timeline, Dark Lord, The Rise of Darth Vader by James Luceno. Until then, if you'd like to get in contact with me, please email the show at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or send me a tweet at Legends Lounge one Ask me a question, send me a message. Tell me how wrong I am about this book, The Clone Wars Wild Space. Tell me why it's a good book, and why everything I have just said is nonsense. Please, I'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. I'm Aaron Motes. Remember, there's always a bit of truth in Legends.